0: And usually what's happening is somebody has come to me who has tried to write their own copy. And when you sit down to write your own copy, I feel this too, like I wrote my website and it was a painstaking process. Um, It is the hardest thing to write your own copy. And that's usually the point at which somebody says, I will pay a million dollars to take this off my plate.
1: Hey, Warners. Welcome to another episode of The Women Your Mother Warned You About. This is Gita Tremarco. And today, Rachel could not be with me, but that's okay. We have an awesome guest for you today. We're going to talk about messaging and copywriting and how to convert those messages. And uh, before we get started, just a reminder that this show is sponsored by Sales Gravy and course, my boss, Jeb Blunt. So uh, kudos out to Sales Gravy and all the amazing content you can get at Sales Gravy University. So let's jump right in and introduce you to my guest today, Sarah Frandina. I love that name because it's Italian. And of course, I am partial to that. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited. Justine, who's been on our show a couple times and we're having her come back um, a, um, a few times on a couple different topics. She highly recommended that we bring you on the show and you are a conversion copywriter. Can you tell our audience a little bit about what that is?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, Hat tip to Justine, and I could listen to her all day. So I'm so glad that you guys are bringing her back again. So when I talk about conversion copywriting, I'm talking about copy that's closest to a conversion point. And a lot of times we think about that as a transaction. um, So somebody that's going to make a purchase, but it could be anytime somebody's taking an intentional action, whether that's joining an email list, signing up for a membership, registering for a workshop, anything where they have to actually take the action of saying, yes, I want this. And it was really Joanna Weeb of copy hackers who kind of coined the term conversion copywriter, but that's how I usually define it is copy that's closest to the the messages that are gonna help people take that intentional action.
1: I love it. That's that's something that we talk about and we teach all the time at Sales Gravy is messaging and how important that is. Like prospecting is super important, but if your message sucks, nothing's gonna happen, right? You're gonna do all that work for nothing to happen. Before we talk about that, uh, because I have so many questions around that, and I always get a lot of questions when I'm training about messaging. How did you get into this realm that you're in as a conversion copywriter?
0: So I was actually working for a tourism agency back in 2012. And I found myself, and I was in marketing, but I found myself training a lot of the business owners in our small community on things like blogging and email marketing, social media. Um, so I was having a lot of fun doing these lunch and learns with them. And I kind of, and a few of them came to me and said, Hey, we love this idea, but we do, we just don't have the bandwidth to do it for ourselves. Can you do it for us? All of a sudden this light bulb went off of, well, Hey, I could be running my own business instead of working for <laughs> somebody else. Took that and ran with it. Um, so that's how I, I got my start and I started off doing anything and everything under the writing sun. So I was writing case studies, blog posts, white papers, websites, um, you name it, I was writing it. And then it was really over from 2014 to 2016 that I niched down um, into the conversion world where I write mostly um, sales pages and email sequences that are usually part of larger launches.
1: And, And what got you to niche in that area specifically?
0: Um, well, first off, I, I followed a lot of Joanna Weeb in the Copy Hackers courses, and she's very much in that realm. Um, but what really drew me to it was that feeling of, I see this person who's trying to make this decision, and I want to impact that, but in a positive way. So I want to help people reach more of the right people for their product, for their offer, for their service. Um There's that that evergreen content, that nurture content of blog posts and general newsletters. Like I think that is incredibly important for building relationships, building trust, establishing authority. But for me, the thrill really came in, okay, how do we get people to take that next best step to say, yes, I want to be part of whatever it is you are offering.
1: Awesome. Uh, There's so many. um, I've been on your website, which is an awesome website, by the way. I love the way it's laid out. And, you know, I've been... um I was in a coaching world. I still in the coaching world for a really long time. And uh, so many people out there preaching on long form emails, which I want to talk a little bit about, about, you know, are they here to stay because some of them are super lengthy. um, And we often talk about less is more. And I want to dive a little bit into that in a minute. But before we do, um, you know, doing what you do, selling yourself and your service Talk a little bit about some of those challenges because I'm going to make an assumption just because I I work with a lot of salespeople in a training capacity. I talk about the importance of sharing content, creating content, putting content out there. We talk about that all the time and curating content. And the thing I hear constantly is, uh, I, I don't have time to do that. And I always say, hire someone to do it. I'm a big believer in that. I have someone who takes care of my social media posts. I have someone who does my my weekly email. And as a salesperson, I take that out of my pocket and pay for it because I'd rather be selling, right? So for you specifically, how do you sell that service to people like, I don't have, I, I can't afford that?
0: Yeah, usually, um, because I do work very much on high-end um, contracts at this point. And usually, what's happening is somebody has come to me who has tried to write their own copy mm-hmm. before. And when you sit down to write your own copy, I feel this too. Like I wrote my website, and it was a painstaking process. Yes. Yes. Um, it is the hardest thing to write your own copy, and that's yeah. usually the point at which somebody says, "I will pay a million dollars to take this off my plate." That said, I don't do a lot of of marketing. I if you look at my blog on my website, I think it has one post. Um, I do have an email newsletter. That's where I direct all of my attention. Otherwise, I'm not active on social media. Um, for me, I, most of my business has come through referrals and through um, repeat business because mm. I focus very much on what were the results from that project. Um, I do think, though, for anybody that does need to be putting content out there, because I only need 10 to 12 clients a year. I'm not mass marketing by any means. For a lot of my clients, that's not the case. Mm -hmm. They have $29 memberships or $397 courses. They're looking for a higher volume of people to come into their ecosystem. They do need to be putting out blog posts, and they do need to be active on social media. For them, it's looking at what is something that you actually enjoy doing and you want to keep on your plate? Because if you enjoy doing it, you're going to bring such a different energy to it. than if it's just something you feel like you have to tick off a box, yeah. um, but then it's finding the right person who's going to be able to adopt your voice. So the person that's posting on your social media, you want to make sure that they can yeah. actually step into your shoes and be posting as Gina and as Rachel. Um, so it's, it's finding that right person who's going to actually be able to adopt your voice and take your message further.
1: I love that because this is, this is a great story. Um, recently someone said to me, you post so much great content on LinkedIn. I don't know how you do it because you're so busy and you're constantly posting relevant stuff. And I go, well, I have a secret. It's not me. (laughs) This is somebody is great. Somebody is posting for me and, and to your point the person who posts for me knows my voice. And it, I actually giggle every now and then, you know, um, because I'll like go on and I'll look, you know, at my notifications on LinkedIn and, and then I'll see like someone's commented on something I posted and then I go read the post and I crack up because I'm like, <laughs> this is so funny, it sounds like me, but I know I didn't write it. <laughs> Yes. And that's the best feedback that a writer
0: can get, right? Like this sounded just like, it sounds like I wrote this or did I write that? (laughs)
1: Yes. (laughs) That's what I asked my, I'm like, did I write that or did she write that? Oh my gosh. Right. So um, to your point, right. You want someone who gets to know your voice and knows your voice. Um, So that's a great, that's a great differentiation, right? So some businesses, some salespeople might need blogging, might need posting. Uh, you're, you've niched into sales pages, and, and you said emails. Yeah, email well? sequences. Yep. So let's talk a little bit about. Let's talk about email sequences. I want to. I want to hear your perspective on how to create good email sequences. Um, what does that look like?
0: Yeah, so when I'm talking about the email sequences I write, I'm not talking about your general newsletter that goes out weekly or biweekly or monthly. I'm talking about the sequences that really have a very targeted goal. So, typically for me that's looking at after somebody opts in for my client's email list, what's the welcome sequence? How are we getting them on the list, welcoming them to to their space to say, "Hey, you made it. You're in the right spot, and here's your next best step." Um, that's, that's where I'm focused there. If I'm looking at a launch series, I'm usually looking at, Hey, what happens when somebody registers for the workshop? We're going to have a show up sequence that goes out that makes sure that we're getting as many people on the workshop live as we can. We're going to make sure that we have that follow-up sequence that's touching them right after they've attended when they're most warm and most receptive to your message. We're going to look at what the sales look like after that and how that sequence can help them get to that next best step. So I'm looking again, like every email sequence I write, I'm looking at where is this falling in the the quote unquote customer journey and what is the next best step for them to take. And every sequence usually has one objective, one objective, and then we look at where they need to go next from there.
1: How many emails are usually in those sequences?
0: I, I mean, typically I'm looking anywhere from, I, I would say five to 15. It almost never ends up being five. We're looking at you know 7 to 15 10 to 15 because i also believe very much in segmentation so not having every email go to every person or writing different emails for different subsets of people depending on how they've self-selected or how how you've been able to tag them um so one sequence could have 15 emails but not everybody in that sequence is getting 15 emails
1: okay cuz that that was going to be my next question so with this type of sequencing I know from the past, um, there was a, what was it called? Um, infusion soft, which many of us referred to as confusion soft, right? I I had to actually pay someone. To do the infusion soft for me because I, it was overwhelming. Now, what I came to learn later was it wasn't the right fit for me to use that platform because my audience wasn't big enough. But of course, they you know they sold me well on it, mm-hmm. but it didn't make sense for me. Uh, I needed to be more robust. So when we're talking about this kind of sequencing, Warners, this is you're going to have to have a, the right platform for it. Correct.
0: Yeah, typically we're looking at an email service provider and ESP if you ever see that around like ConvertKit, like ActiveCampaign, like Flowdesk, like yeah. um, you know, I think the the OG one was Constant Contact. A lot of yeah, businesses yeah. used back in the day which is still around. Um MailChimp, Mailchimp those kinds of platforms. Yep.
1: Is there a platform that you I mean I personally am interested in this. I do use Mailchimp. I'm not sequencing um just because it hurts my head i I, i'd (laughs) I'd like to um i mean right now my weekly email is just more of a branding thing and not Mm -hmm. it it, it hasn't been set up for conversion i needed to get i need to get to that point um i need to get i need to take them on a journey to where i want them to go Uh, but what what are some suggestions on best platform you know in your opinion best campaigns to use
0: Yeah. So this, I mean, it's like you said, where you started with Infusionsoft and it was recognizing that it wasn't right for your business. Um, I always recommend starting small. So MailChimp is a great place to to start and you can do a lot with MailChimp. I haven't really kept up with it. The two that I'm most um, in with my clients are ConvertKit and ActiveCampaign. And they're both super powerful when it comes to automations and sequencing, but ActiveCampaign will take everything a step further because active campaign is really built to be m- built to be more of a crm a customer relationship management system so you can do a lot more in terms of creating contact profiles in active campaign than you can in convertkit and that's okay. the biggest difference that i've seen
1: and here's some words from our sponsor jeb blunt at sales gravy
2: Hi, this is Jeb Blunt. There's a reason why thousands of sales professionals and top companies across the globe hone their sales skills at SalesGrave University. You see, SalesGrave University is different than most learning platforms. First, we have live courses taught in a virtual classroom by our master trainers that start almost every single day. And our e-learning platform is populated with hundreds of hours of sales training content produced by some of the top sales trainers in the world, including Gina's Spontaneous Selling course, which is worth checking out. Now, I've got some good news. If you've never taken a course on Sales Gravy University, if you're a new user, you can take your very first course for free. That's any course on the platform, absolutely free. Just go to learn.salesgravy.com, that's learn.salesgravy.com, or click the e-learning tab in the top menu at salesgravy.com, pick out your course, and when you check out, use coupon code FREECOURSE to get that course for free. That is FREECOURSE to get your very first course for free.
1: Speaking of Sales Gravy University, go check out salesgravy.university and see some of the courses that I'm teaching. Just scroll through the university and click on them and you will find me and sign up. I'd love to have you there. I mean, I did have a client recently ask me about what would be a good platform for him to be doing some emails um, that would have a, CR- a, a CRM component, which was kind of the point of Infusionsoft, I think, but it was just too much. So you're saying that you could use ActiveCampaign as a CRM as well? Yeah, absolutely. So for maybe some a, a smaller company or a smaller entrepreneur or a salesperson, that might be something that they could look at those two.
0: You can get pretty wild with tagging, of course. But one thing that I love about Active campaign is that you can do lead scoring. So um, what that means is basically assigning points to different actions that people take throughout their journey with you that give their, their profile weight. So I could say, you know, every time somebody clicks a link in this sale sequence, I want them to get five points. Mm. And once they've hit 75 points, I'm going to do personal outreach, because I know that they're actively engaging with all of my emails. I wanna reward them for that. And I, and I know that they have high intent, they're highly engaged. I'm gonna spend the time to actually reach out and see if they wanna book a demo or book a call or even just record a personal video and send it to them so that you have that higher touch. But being able to do that and say, I'm only gonna do that for people who hit this threshold means you're not doing it for everybody that opts into your email list, which can get real overwhelming real fast.
1: Great point. Great point. Because again, this is something that we talk about in um, our fanatical prospecting boot camps about creating prospect lists that you can call. And one way that you can segment is lead scoring. Mm-hmm. Right? So this is really great um, for those listening and trying like, how do I create the best prospecting lists? And when we talk about lead scoring, this would be a way to do it. Right. Which I think is really cool. Um, Cause you can't manage, you can't manage staying on top of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people on your list. And why would you, if they are really not taking any action?
0: Yeah, I really believe in quality over quantity, um, even in higher volume businesses. So I do have some clients where We have to be really careful about the amount of people that are going to come into her pipeline to do personal outreach for because she's getting hundreds of people joining her email list every week and every month. Whereas I have other clients where they've got a high ticket offer. They only want 10 people in every time that opens. They can do outreach to 10 people. Um, They still have to identify who those 10 people are in a pool, but that pool is a lot smaller than than the the other client.
1: Now we could go down a I could go down a complete rabbit hole on the structuring and strategy of these sequences and what are the best products and services again for like taking them on that journey because you're trying to convert them to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, let's just touch on that for a second before we get into actual copy and and um, the message what are what are some examples of the journey you could take a customer on to get them to take an action on something what is what are some of the actions that we could look at
0: yeah so like i said we often think in terms of transactions so we're looking at how do we get somebody to hand over their credit card information and buy but we start warming people up from the minute they come into our quote unquote ecosystem. So they opt into our email list. That's them saying, hey, I'm here. I'm ready to learn. I'm ready to listen. You want to start warming them up from that point. So give them links in an email to click. I always say one link per email, but in um, in a conversion-focused email, give them one link to click and get them clicking. That's giving them like those, those micro moments of commitment of, I'm clicking this because I want to learn more from you. That That's that's a conversion. Then we can talk about what's their next best step, if that's registering for a workshop, if that's joining a membership, if that is um, signing up for your email list in that first place. So there's a lot of different micro moments of getting them to opt in that are going to get them warmer for those bigger asks later down the road.
1: Okay. So that's, that's super important, right? We, we want to warm them up. We want them, and we talk about this a lot of sales gravy about the micro commitments we want to get them trained and comfortable in saying yes along the journey and Mm -hmm. making little yeses so that at the end they're making a bigger yes, right? So that's in essence what you're doing with the sequencing or the little yeses, the next steps. and at the end, right, I, I'm, I'm guessing that when you're working with your clients, you're creating a strategy for what's the ultimate goal here, right? We need to, if we're going to get in the current drive, we need to know what the destination is. What's the ultimate destination? I'm guessing that's part of your conversation and strategy with them.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I I tend to work a lot with membership-based or subscription-based organizations where we're looking at things on three levels, that initial lead acquisition. How do we get more people into the fold, more of the right people into the fold? Then how do we get them to opt into whatever it is we are offering? Usually some sort of membership or a cohort-based course or something that um, there is a recurring commitment to. And then from there, we can look at retention and referral. Those are the two big things that we look at on the back end of things of how do we cultivate that loyalty? And then what does it look like to actually activate those people to stay in the membership and to refer it out? Um, So a bunch of different things that we are asking of them or encouraging them to do throughout the journey. Um, And it's it just kind of depends where they are in that flow.
1: So, let me ask you this. Um, a lot of our listeners are entrepreneurs um, and salespeople. So, for the individual salesperson, how could they benefit from sequencing like this that you're talking about? Ultimately, they you know, we want people to purchase what we're selling. What could something like that look like for a salesperson?
0: Yeah, I think it's kind of the same for anybody selling anything that the, the sequencing is really about cultivating trust and really establishing authority. So looking at what are the things that I can provide for these people throughout this email sequence that are going to have them say, this is the person that I want to continue learning from. This is the person that I want to invest my time, my energy and my money into because time and energy are just as important as money when we're talking about commitments. Mm -hmm. Um, So using it in that way. And then for, you know, the benefit to, in my opinion, is really seeing who am I talking to? I want more of the right people, but then how can I tailor the message to any different segments of my audience so that it's relevant at all times? And I'm not just, the worst thing I think we can do is be all, try to be all things to all people because it's not possible. So looking at who, who do I really want to reach here? What's the right message to reach them with? And then how do I separate that out from the rest?
1: All right, let's talk messaging. So let's talk about what makes for good messaging, in your opinion.
0: I mean, good messaging is um, resonant. It is a relative um, and it, it connects. And how do we get there? We have to come at it from an empathetic standpoint. Um, So I start my entire process with voice of customer research. I'm going out and I am interviewing, I am surveying, and I am finding where my, my clients' prospects hang out to see how they talk about the problems that they are experiencing, the solutions that they're seeking, the things they've tried before. And I'm having those conversations, I'm listening, and then I'm taking that into account as we craft any messaging. So voice of customer is really... Sixty to eighty percent of my process, most of the time, I'm able to um, identify where people are starting from, um, and then how they talk about things, so that I can actually speak in their language, step into their shoes, and take it from there.
1: Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna say that it really is about their their specific language. It's something I talk about a lot is is like verbatim, like verbatim the, the words that you hear them using, and if you can put that back in a message. Um, it triggers them without them even being aware of it because it sounds familiar to them. Is that fair to say?
0: Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, oftentimes it's it's not as simple as I got this survey response, I'm just going to strip it and use it. That does happen. I have pulled direct headlines from somebody's response to a survey. It is possible. But oftentimes it's it's looking at the tone, the phrases, um, those specific words they use, and then crafting those into something where they're going to reach to your page and say, they see me, they they know me because you're speaking in their language.
1: Okay. So I want to talk about, I want to talk about these longer sales emails, sales pages, the ones that like go on forever. Um, you know, we t- at Sales Gravy, we teach about less is more and again it could be very audience specific like we want to get to the point of grabbing their attention um right away um through subject line and the first you know line or two in the in the email and then we want to um be able to relate really early on understanding them before we even start to bridge to the value that we would offer and then we do a direct ask to meet with them like from a prospecting standpoint and then this is some of the framework that we teach, pretty, pretty short. Um, but talk to me about these longer sales pages and emails. Yeah,
0: it's funny, because I think this is one of the questions I get asked most often is how long does my sales page need to be? Or how how long does my email need to be? And the honest answer is it depends, which nobody likes to hear. Yeah, um, I do think there is a time and place for the 13,000 word sales page. Um, and Less is more and less is less is more is more difficult to achieve in a lot of circumstances. So the things I look at when I'm making my recommendation on LinkedIn or I'm writing a page and determining how long it needs to be or writing an email and determining that. The first thing is where are our prospects coming from? What did they see before they reached this page or before they got this email? Because I need to know what they already know. And I need to mm-hmm. know what they've read because I want to make sure I'm matching where they just came from. So there's message match of, hey, if they're coming from this opt-in or this blog post or this LinkedIn post, I want to make sure the page they're they're linking to and they're they're landing on isn't like a... Complete context switch of wait a minute how did I land here I wanted to say oh this is the conversation we were already having and I'm continuing it from here on out so that's the first thing is knowing what they already have have Mm -hmm. seen but then knowing where you're meeting people so um, if we're talking at at this from a very linear perspective we can talk about the states of awareness of hey, you're unaware, you're problem aware, you're solution aware, you're product aware, you're most aware. Um, People don't typically travel in a very straight line from A to B, but um, having an idea of whether or not they are starting from the... I have a problem that I can identify, um, but I don't know what solutions exist. Those people are going to need a little bit more nurturing than the person who says, I know the solution and I'm just seeking out different products that can help me fulfill that solution. Um, So that's the other thing I'm looking at. I'm looking at their starting state of awareness and saying, okay, for somebody that's starting kind of further down the ladder, I know it's going to take a little bit more copy to move them up. Um, but if they're starting in the middle of the ladder, I, I'm using different things on the page, and it might not equate to a longer page, but it might mean I'm using more social proof, or I'm using more um, guarantees, or things like that. Whereas the person who's problem more needs a little bit more of the, hey, I see you, I feel you, I've been in your shoes um, this is what you're experiencing. And I know because I've seen it before. Um, so that's, those are the things that really determine length for me. Um, and and that can apply to emails as well.
1: Are there any statistics on the longer the sales page, the better or anything like that?
0: I'm not really up on that research, nor do I know how recent that research would be. So I'm not, I'm not actually sure amongst and this is the thing amongst even my clients, I couldn't tell you definitively a longer form sales page works better because it really depends on the offer and how warm the audience is beforehand. I've got one client who could throw up a a half of a, you know, like a 500 word sales page for a $1,500 offer. And a ton of people would bite because she has built such an engaged and loyal audience that anything she releases, they're going to say, yeah, I only need three bullet points. That sounds great. I'm in. Um, Mm -hmm. I've got other clients who are selling a $500 product and need a much longer sales page because they're talking to colder prospects.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. Right. They have to, they have to get the social proof. And to your point, if there's familiarity um, I think this, this applies to a lot of different things in sales. Uh, I I've got a client I'm working with right now that I've been working with for a while. That continues to work with us, and you know, I just did a—I um, don't even want to call it a proposal presentation to her. I was really presenting curriculum ideas for training, and she's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." I don't just—I don't need a presentation. I don't need just—just just bullet point me on what you think we should do, right? Like, but we already have the relationship now. Right, So I don't have to put a lot in because the relationship is already there. So to your point, if um, they need an education on it, you're going to need to put more information in there. Absolutely. What are some, um, could you give us maybe some hacks or tips for this, the person that um, they're like, oh, I really want uh, to hire Sarah, but right now I can't. Um, one day I will, uh, but what are some things that some advice that you could give on things that, um, ways they can improve their copy in their, like, in, let's say in their emails specifically.
0: Yeah. So honestly, um, I always recommend that people do take a stab at their cop, their own copy first before they ever come to me. Um, if you're brand new to your product, your offer, I'm happy to consult, but I always think that it's better to have something there that we can test against. Um, So I always recommend that people actually start with their own copy before they invest thousands of dollars in a copywriter um, so that we have that data to work with. That said, how do you sit down to a blank page and start? Um, And that's where I think anybody and everybody can go out and do their own voice of customer. So looking at your prospects and saying, just sending them a one question survey of, um, you know, for example, I'm working with somebody right now who sells, um, party in a boxes and her, her, she's looking at really stressed out, overwhelmed moms who suddenly are like, crap, my kid's birthday is in three weeks and I have nothing ready to go, but I'm supposed to have this Pinterest perfect party. We did one, a one-question survey to people that said, "Hey, it's 9:55 a.m. and you've got 10 kids showing up in five minutes for your kid's birthday party. How do you feel?" And that gave us so much insight into where these moms were coming from. That's gold. She can take all of that and work that messaging into her emails, into her sales pages, but not even just the messaging itself, but the content of them. What do I need to be actually, where do I need to be connecting with them? What do I need to be sharing? What do they need to know? Um, So going out and asking questions of your, of your, of your people, yourself, um, if you've launched before, or you've um, reached out to prospects before who haven't converted, looking at those people and going back with a simple, hey, why didn't you buy? And I don't love that question in particular, but usually it's, hey, what was the number one thing that stopped you from uh, joining the membership or from registering for the workshop? You can learn a lot in that. And, I mean, it's always going to come down to time and money, but how, how are they talking about those two things? So going out and asking the questions yourself instead of sitting and staring at the blank page and throwing spaghetti at the wall.
1: How about, how about the question? Why did you buy?
0: Yeah, I actually, I think a ton of, of insight can be gotten from the person who bought, but hesitated. So that's often a question I will ask of people that did join when you were, when you were making that decision to join, was there anything that was there anything that made you hesitate, and if so, what helped you overcome mm-hmm. that hesitation? Because I think that's again, you can get a lot of insight into what's going to help other people overcome that decision for sure mm-hmm. or that hesitation.
1: Awesome. Any other any other tips or advice you could uh, give us for having really powerful copy?
0: Yeah, clear over clever every time. I think a lot of people sit down and they're trying to come up with the most most clever way to say something. Go for clear first, you can you can edit in a bit of clever late later. And there's a lot of different ways to bring in clever that aren't going to dilute your message. But the very first thing is clear over clever, because everybody's going to value that kind of communication, and they're going to get a lot more from that kind of communication than having to decipher a a clever message.
1: I love it. Super powerful, clear over clever. Um, I think that is a great way to wrap up this episode because I think that is so strong and so solid and maybe will make people a little hungry to learn more about you. Cause I know it makes me hungry to learn more about you clear over clever. Um, I think is a big message for today's episode. Sarah, if people want to connect with you, what would be the best way to do that?
0: Yeah, the very best way would be to go to my website over at sarahfrandina.com. at sarah with no h, um, and at the bottom there you can opt in for my email list where I do send out a biweekly email that's been on pause because I'm just coming back from maternity leave, but it will be it will be back it will be back. But that's where I share a lot of really quick tips of of how you can how you can optimize conversions in
1: your copy. Oh. Awesome. I'm going to sign up for that. I could use some of that. I think I could use, I think I need you. I think I need (laughs) you. So uh, thank you so much for being on the show today. We really appreciate it. Any final thoughts, final messages you want to leave our listeners with?
0: No, I just appreciate being here. I really, I really enjoyed this conversation.
1: Awesome. Thank you to Sarah. And thank you, Warners, for listening to this episode of the Women Your Mother Warned You About. For more information about our show, you can go to com or uh, check out sales gravy. You can find out more about us there, or salesgravy.university, sign up for a course. There's a lot of great courses in this month of December and um, even more starting in January, so check that out. If um, you got something out of this episode, please share it. Put it out there, share it with someone who might um, might need some help with their email. And there's a lot of, we didn't even talk about this, there's a lot of bad emails out there (laughs) I'm sure Sarah has seen them Um, and uh, if you haven't had a chance to give us a reading or review we would appreciate that as well and once again shout out to Sales Gravy the sponsor of this show we're out of here Warners thanks Sarah thanks listeners bye this really will get serious soon yeah don't it it doesn't have to I don't think anybody wants it to be serious